the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Let me tell you a story. No, really. Let me tell you a story. Those words so often introduce the idea of delight and learning. They put our brains in the mood for a wide range of satisfying emotions. Today, we're going to talk with author and journalist Will Storr, who's written a book about why storytelling and stories matter so much to us and how we might tell them better. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Stories are everywhere in our lives. They dazzle us. They keep us entertained, intrigued, motivated, and they inspire us to pursue a variety of different interests. Creating stories is, of course what writers do in their work. But it's also what happens every day in the wider world. In business, politics, journalism, and religion, stories are the active ingredients that bind us together and sometimes tear us apart as we go about our daily lives. There are, of course, a lot of books that have been written about the craft of stories and storytelling, including most famously, Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. But every now and then, a new book or work of art comes along, and it demonstrates both how we create stories every day and how often they seemingly manifest before us as if by magic. These works describe how stories guide us, what they say about who we are, and how they come to define our very essence as humans, both personally and collectively. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. The order and cadence and tone of those words is an invitation to an incredible array of enjoyable emotions. That's where we want to start the conversation today. The idea of stories, what they mean to us, how they shape the way we think about the world. How we come up with stories and how we hear them, take them in, make them part of who we are, and then reflect that back out into the world, sometimes in the form of other stories. I want to hear from you this hour about stories. How do you use stories every day in your life, at work, at home, in art, or in politics? Have you used particular stories recently 
to convince people of something or to convince yourself of a particular truth? And have you used stories to inspire you to get something done or to move you to take action? What's the role of stories in your life? Throughout the hour, I'll talk a little about how powerful and important stories are to me, not just in my work as a journalist and a writer, but of course right here on WDET and on Detroit Today, where each day we get together and have really interesting and important conversations about our lives. And those lives are shaped by stories. I want to welcome a guest, really great guest, to this conversation this hour as well. Will Storr is a journalist and author, and his new book is called The Science of Storytelling, Why Stories Make Us Human and How to Tell Them Better. Will Storr, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. So I want to start here. You begin your book by talking about death. Death for you, me, the planet, and everything in sight. And you do that to make the point that stories help distract us from death and a meaningless existence. Uh, tell me how you came up with the idea of couching the idea of stories in that particular context. Well, I suppose the broader context comes from the fact that I, I, I'm an atheist that grew up in a very strongly Catholic household and, and always sort of scratched my head slightly at, you know, my parents, very strong and, uh, you know, sometimes very literal Christian belief. And in, you know, I've spent the last few, you know, a, a long time now as a writer, you know, writing about psychology and how, the, you know, mind and brain works. And, 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 and that's very much the conclusions of, you know, many um, you know, modern scientists, which is, which is that, you know, the brain is a story processor, it's a story generator. And one of the purposes of stories is to, you know, to, to distract us from the sometimes very harsh and sort of bleak realities of, of existence. So a common refrain in the book is that uh, we're trapped in our heads, forced to construct models of the outside world, to give us clues as to what's actually going on, but that we can never truly reflect the real world because we never actually interact in such a place. Can you explain that thought a bit and also how our desire to construct stories is a consequence of that phenomenon? Yeah, so you know that that phenomenon is a story generating process, and it, it, I mean, so the idea is, and it's quite a disorientating idea when you first come across it, is 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 that 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 we ex we we think we're experiencing the outside world directly like we, we it's like our eyes are windows that we're looking out of but of course our eyes aren't windows when you think about it information only goes in one way and that's in nothing comes out of the eyes <laughs> so and and that's how all the senses work so information comes in from the outside world and it's translated into millions and millions of electrical pulses and the brain reads those electrical pulses a bit like a you know a computer read ones and zeros and creates this amazing full color high definition vivid um, world for us to live in and, and and the kind of bizarre thing is that world is actually inside our heads it's a model in, you know inside our heads it's not outside 
outside our, our bodies at all. And the actual world outside our bodies is is, is very different to the one that, that is created for us with that, you know, with our kind of human brain equipment. Uh, for example, there's no color in the, in the world outside our bodies. Mm. The atoms have no color. It's just light waves that hit the senses. And depending on the length of the light wave, the brain decides, well, that's pink, that's brown, that's blue. And paints, you know, paints these special effects um, you know, like a, like a CGI kind of thing uh, <laughs> onto this model we have of the world. So, so, so even from the ground up, the brain is a storyteller. Literally, you know, it's it, it, it's a, it, it's a, it, our experience of reality is, is is a work of active construction and you know active remix. It, it's different. You know, the story world that we exist in is very different from the actual kind of chaotic and confusing reality in which our bodies are suspended. Hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about storytelling where it comes from and how it fits into our need to communicate with one another so uh, as as humans evolved on the planet and developed speech the ability to verbalize our ideas and share them with each other uh, the, the the first need of course is out of uh, sort of basic necessities, right? I need to tell you that I'm hungry or that we should uh, go find water or that we should find shelter. But from there, we've developed this incredible, uh, I guess, uh, enjoyment uh, space around communication. In other words, we don't just tell each other what we think we need to know. We tell each other stories to communicate things that we think the other person might just want to know or be entertained by. Can you talk about that need and what, what need that fulfills, I guess, uh, and, and why we as humans uh, rely on that and have developed it, but also why, what, how that distinguishes us, I guess, from, from other species on the planet? Yeah, well, you know, one of the dominant theories at the moment in psychology is that the reason language evolved in the first place is to tell stories, and specifically, um, the stories took the form of gossip. So, you know, that, that that sounds like a crazy thing to say, that the language evolved to swap gossip, but mm-hmm. but there's actually sort of good logic behind it. You know, so so humans are these, are these weird apes. Um, we're a species of ape that have managed to dominate the world because we've become highly, highly social and highly, highly cooperative. And so, you know, as most people know, we, you know, for most of our existence on on Earth, we we were living as members of small hunter-gatherer tribes, relatively small groups, um, and so we had to master cooperation. We had to incentivize people to get along with with each other, to be selfless, generous, courageous, all those things that humans often struggle with. And the way that you do that is by swapping gossip, because mm-hmm. gossip, gossip is this social information. You know, there was no police force then, there was no judiciary, there was no legal system. You still had to control people. Mm-hmm. And so, and so you, you, we began swapping gossipy stories about each other, um, uh, you know, about people doing good things or bad things. And then that triggers the feeling of moral outrage. And then once moral outrage is triggered, we're, you know, if it's negative gossip, we are 
motivated very strongly to act to kind of punish that person and if they got you know because there's good gossip too if the gossip is someone's done this amazing thing we, we're motivated to celebrate them to raise them as a hero so we've, we've evolved to um you know to to, to to be interested in this social behavior and social information about people to be riveted to this kind of information in real life in the form of gossip about who is this person what are they doing why did they do that you know these, these are basic fundamental human interests um almost as soon as they can speak children began to swap kind of gossipy kinds of information you know telling you know tattletale stuff about this person did this thing this person took my toy this person you know (laughs) didn't flush the toilet or whatever whatever it is and um you know so so it's innate it's in us um it's universal it's you know you know it's across culturally across the genders um you know we all gossip and we gossip a lot um usual estimates are around 60 percent of our conversation is is about other people Mm. um so so if you think about that and, and you think about you know Every story that you might read from, um, you know, a tabloid news piece about uh, Kim Kardashian to all the way up to Anna Karenina, it has a quality of gossip. It's, it's who are these people and what are they doing and why did they do that? And are they good people or are they bad people? So, 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 so these are the kind of fundamental forms of, um, uh, of storytelling. And the reason that we enjoy them is because we are, you know, we, we're wired to enjoy, you know, social information, you know, understanding, how, you know, how people operate and why. Hmm. And I want to talk just a little about the difference between the kind of storytelling that you were just talking about, this exchange of information about the world and our place in it, and the fictional storytelling that has, of course, really defined uh, human existence uh, in, in a way that is separate from other other species on the planet, these incredible creations, imaginary places and scenarios and people that we invent what is what is the difference between those those forms of storytelling and do they serve different purposes or do they serve the same yeah so um if if you think about you know again back in the old tribal days there you know the, the the earliest forms of storytelling would probably have been gossip social information but then there's another form of storytelling as you as you indicate you know when we're sat around the campfire at night um, you know, tr- tribal, you know, storytellers would, would begin talking about, you know, ghosts and monsters and, um, you know, battles, uh, f- you know, f- f- from the tribe's history and, you know, these kind of campfire kind of mythological tales. Um, and, and so scholars talk about that there, that there, there are kind of two functions in, in early storytelling. Uh, the first is kind of reputation gossip, which is that gossip we were just talking about, that, that, that social information, are, are people good or bad and what have they done? But there's also a form of gossip, gossip of storytelling, which is, which is, which is called Strategy learning gossip, and, and strategy learning is all about okay, um, how do people get themselves out of trouble? How do people succeed? How do people get get what they want out of the world? You know, and again, we're wired to be interested in in this kind of um, this kind of storytelling because it, it teaches us. It teaches us how to get along and get ahead in the environments that we're in, um, and it's an automatic thing. So you know, the reason that films like James Bond, you know, are hugely successful, and, and you know, millions of people all around the world find them. Is because it's strategy learning. They've simply got this person, this man, got him in as much trouble as possible, and we're entertained by seeing how he gets out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's strategy learning. That's the brain in a very fundamental, basic way going, okay, here's someone in trouble. This could be useful for me to know, even though (laughs) that there's almost no chance that anybody watching that film is ever going to get into the kind of trouble that James Bond gets into. You know, we find it interesting because we're wired to, you know, to, 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 to also you know, take information from story in that form. Yeah. 
I'm talking with Will Storr, a journalist and author, and the author of a new book titled The Science of Storytelling, Why Stories Make Us Human and How to Tell Them Better. We're talking, of course, about stories, what role stories play in our lives, the tremendous role that stories play in our lives, how we react to the stories that we hear and that uh, we tell, uh, and the ways in which we draw a wide range of emotions from telling stories and hearing stories. Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Give us a call and tell us how you use stories every day in your life, at work, at home, in art, or in politics. Have you used particular stories to convince other people of something or to convince yourself of a particular truth? And have you used stories to inspire you to get something done or to move you to take action? Give us a sense of how you tell stories, why you tell stories, where you tell stories, and what purpose you think uh, those stories play in the world around you. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation uh, also, give us a call and just tell us what some of your favorite stories are. They're stories that you remember from childhood that you were either told or maybe read uh, that had a profound influence maybe on the way you think of things now. Uh, I know a lot of folks during the pandemic have turned to books and stories as a way of either passing the time or keeping themselves in the right frame of mind uh, as we kind of struggle through uh, this pretty horrible existence uh, of the last year and a half with uh, with COVID-19. Uh, tell me what you've been reading the last year and a half, something that maybe made the pandemic a little more bearable, a little more survivable. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to social media, put comments there, and uh, we'll include you in our conversations that way. Um, I want to start today with uh, Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to the show. Oh, no. Well, I am. I feel welcome. This is a, this is a topic that I have, that I have known. I'm, I'm a good storyteller, <laughs> tell me. In fact, I'm almost like the ancient mariner. You know, people are obligated to listen to me, you know, <laughs> like a three-year child. But, uh, but, you know, I, I, for all of the things that's already been said, I just say all of the above, everything. And the first thing that thought of me is I got a text this morning from a prominent local politician whom I know who was working on immigration reform. And I said, the only way I could really tell her about my views is to tell her a story hmm. about how I got involved with immigration reform when I was in my late 20s. And, and lived in uh, Evanston, Illinois. It's before what I call my Chicago sojourn. <laughs> and it, uh, like I says, it's it's very, very hard to tell a story uh, by text, yeah. know, by phone text. Yeah. And, and, like, <laughs> but, it's, but it's very essential of some, you know, 
well, how did you get involved in this? Well, you know, et cetera, et right. cetera. Right. Uh, uh, Daniel, yeah. that's such a wonderful, it's such a wonderful example. And, and I'm, I'm really glad you called and, and shared it with us. Uh, Will, technology, of course, is one of the things that powers stories and storytelling, especially the way that we can share stories quite instantly now uh, with, with, without physical proximity. Talk about the ways in which text in particular has maybe changed the way we think of, of storytelling, uh, maybe for the worse. I think a lot of people would say probably for the worse, but, but maybe there are some ways in which it's, it's made it better. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, the, 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 if you think about, again, back to the tribal days, the, the stories that the tribe told kind of bound the tribe together. So the myths and legends, the gossip would also encode the social norms of the group, you know, how, how you were supposed to behave. And there's, you know, huge variations in norms of behavior in different groups as you go around the world. And then, of course, when we started writing down stories, um, that, that enabled us to kind of bind much larger groups together. And if you think of the Quran and the Bible as, a, 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 you know, there are also stories that, um, that, that tell us how to live in the world and kind of you know direct our behaviour. And now, of course, we've got you know we've got the internet. We've got we've got we've got we've got um, you know so, so, so the internet is this kind of huge repository of um, uh, of stories. And I think one of one of the dangers of the internet is that you know humans are often quite irrational. And and, and you know one of the things that we're driven to do is to find find stories that back up our you know our beliefs, no matter how crazy they are, and, and I think one 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 of the problems the internet um, has is giving us is that it's this repository of, of basically any story that you want to find. If, you know, if, if you want to find evidence to back up your kind of crazy belief, you're going to find those stories online, and they're going to be convincing because stories, you know, story, stories work because they're convincing. So I, I think that's you know that, that, that's the reason why we're having such such difficulties at the moment, especially in the West with. Um, um, you, you know, you, you know, groups that are, have these wildly conflicting beliefs and and, mm. and, and attack each other. Yeah. You can think of the internet as a, as a modern gossip network, as a tribal gossip network, but it's global, so so it's incredibly powerful. Wow. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Will Store about storytelling, and we'll continue to hear from you about stories. Brian and Dearborn, Kelly and Trenton, you'll be up. When we get that, when we get back from the break, if you want to join them, as always, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to social media, Facebook, Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work into the conversation. Uh, we also want to continue to hear from you about the stories that you love. Tell us about stories that you heard as a child, stories maybe that you even read over the last 18 months during the pandemic that really had a profound influence on you the way you see the world we'll be right back with more detroit today WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. 
I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about storytelling, how we tell each other stories, why we tell each other stories, what stories we choose to share with one another, and what they mean in the real world, in the rest of our lives. Our guest is Will Storr, a journalist and author who has a new book titled The Science of Storytelling, Why Stories Make Us Human and how to tell them better. He is joining us today by Skype. Uh, we want to hear from you as well about stories. What role do they play in your life? Uh, what role have they played over your life? Are there stories that you remember as a child being told or reading? Are there stories that have helped you persevere in the last 18 months as the world got turned upside down by the COVID-19 pandemic. As always, you can join us on the phones at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and you uh, can become part of the show that way. Let's go to Brian in Dearborn. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Stephen. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to tell you guys a little story about uh, a storytelling experience I had recently. Mm -hmm. uh, I got to work for a political campaign earlier this year for the mayor's race here in Dearborn. And the candidate, when we sat down, the first thing he said to me is, I need to be able to tell my story, and I don't know how. And we started with just talking. I mean, we went through so many cups of coffee. I think in total, it was about seven hours that we spent just discussing his whole life story. And I had all of these notes, and then I had to turn it into something. And um, one of the wonderful things is that this, of course, turned into a video. It turned into the sort of narrative of what his campaign was all about. And it spilled into... Everything else is issues arose with unsafe driving that's mm -hmm. happening in Dearborn and eventually the floods that happened this year. Mm -hmm. And all throughout that, every part of the process, every time we were faced with a challenge, one of the things we discussed wasn't just what is the issue, how do we solve it? It was also how do we tell this story so people can understand what is happening? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I think storytelling is so important is because uh, my client didn't win this year. But what did happen is that every single other candidate followed him. Huh. Every issue he put his foot out on, they followed him on. They and talked about it, too. their solutions mirrored his solutions. And I think that's because there is power in storytelling. And what's amazing about it is that when you tell your story and when you tell the story well, I think what happens is that people feel so drawn to this that in politics and in many other fields, what ends up happening is that people become you. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, the current person who's going to be moving into the mayor's office, I wrote a little bit a few months ago, you know, issue after issue after issue, he became the person that my candidate was telling the story about. And so did we really lose? Because that story won. <laughs> right. And I think that's the shift in perspective wow. for not only political communication, but how we relate to each other in America, yeah. which is that 
It's not about winning an argument. It's about telling the story that wins. It's about yeah. telling the story that people feel so drawn to. That becomes that the narrative. Can. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, what a wonderful, what a wonderful story <laughs> to share with us here uh, on the show. I'm so glad. Uh, I was so glad you called. Will Storer, react to, to the insights that, uh, that Brian is sharing here. Yeah, I, I, I love that story. Uh, you know, the, the idea that the candidate himself or herself didn't win. But uh, but the story, because mm-hmm. it led the campaign, everybody copied it. They kind of won. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really fabulous. Uh, and, and I absolutely agree. You know, it, it is testament to the to, to the incredible power of storytelling. There's a very um, interesting um, academic called Professor Drew Weston in, in the US. who's written a book called The Political Brain. And he studies exactly this. You know, you know, what kinds of candidates win elections and how. Uh, and, you know, he finds that the, the election after election after election after election not only in the US but around the world is the candidate who has the best stories that wins is the candidate who elicits the right emotions that wins mm-hmm. and it's not about data it's not about facts so, so so if you want to if you're going to try and argue from facts and argue with data it's usually going to fall on deaf ears and, and I think you know Brian's you know account of his of his activity in that campaign is, is amazing kind of testament to that to that idea mm. Wow Brian again Really appreciate the the call uh, and your sharing that experience of of storytelling. Uh, let's go to Greg in Ann Arbor. Greg, what's on your mind? Hey, hey. hi there, Stephen. Thanks hey. for having me. Um, yeah, so I can remember very vividly being a very young child of three or four years old and sort of looking around at all these grown-ups walking around aimlessly, in my opinion, you know, doing their work, doing going to the work every day, watching the news, kind of wondering uh, what was, what was, you know, what, what was the point of all of this, <laughs> and sort of feeling like there was something more. And I can remember the day all of that changed when my grandmother told me a story of how when she was in elementary school, she had a friend that had a pet spider and kept it in a jar, and he kept it secret. And every now and then he would open it up and it would crawl out and begin writing. Um, sentences and words and speak to this boy with his web. And I was so fascinated by this story because it's the first time I'd ever heard something so absurd that I believed all of a sudden, you know, at some point within my life, I would finally um, come to understand the the fantastic nature that lies within. Hmm. And I probably believed in this story a little longer than I should have. It was probably (laughs) 10 or 11 when I came back to my grandmother and I said, can you tell me that story again about your friend? And, and she was like, what are you talking about? She had no <laughs> recollection that she said this seven years ago. But it had, it had totally, yeah, at one point it sort of broke my heart, but I think it also contributed to this sort of um, pursuing these really fantastic um, out of uh, out of this world sort of uh, realities and creating them in an artistic um, way. And yeah. I thought that was just a, you yeah. know, definitely something that contributed to who I became, I think. Wow, Greg, uh, great story, great story as well. Uh, Will Store, what's your what's your reaction? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I, I was sort of thinking about the idea of that the brain is the model maker, and 
you know the the brain's sucking in information from the world and building models of it and and you know building those models into stories and and, and you know that that's how we understand the world and I think we're especially vulnerable to those kinds of things you know to to, to the kind of more wild stories when we're younger and the brain because the brain's you know, when we're children the brain is still forming its understanding of the world it's still forming its intricate model of the world so so we are a bit more gullible um, and again it's you know it really speaks to um, uh, the fact that the brain is a storyteller, that's how it understands the world. And it will, you know, and children's brain do, brains do sort of, you know, absorb these fantastical stories very easily. And, and um, you, you know, just they don't question them. They just, they just decide that they're true. And that, I think that's partly, partly why childhood can be so wonderful, because we do have these very rich um, you know, imaginary story worlds that we that, that we live in. Um, that, that then, you know, as our models of the world get more and more accurate, um, you know, sadly, <laughs> you know, we, we lose some of that wonder. I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Greg, uh, really appreciate the call and you're sharing your story. Uh, let's go to Kelly in Trenton. Kelly, welcome to the show. Well, hey there. Hi. Thank you so much. Sure. <laughs> go ahead. All right. Well, I'm actually an audiobook narrator, so I tell stories for a living. <laughs> and the industry is really interesting for, you know, any number of reasons. One, as a narrator, you become a subject matter expert for a short period of time, uh, the amount of time that you're usually working on the book. And two, um, audiobooks are currently poised to take over ebooks and print as the major way that people are consuming written media. They're now, mm. you know, beginning to consume it more by listening to mm. it. And so there's this huge issue because there are companies out there trying to create artificial intelligence voices to do audiobooks. Yeah. And if you think about storytelling and you think about the fact that it's the oldest form of entertainment and why it's so important is because of the human element. Mm. I don't think that you can get the same, the same story from you know, a computer reading it to you as you do from that friend, from that relative, from you know, that actor that's a narrator than, you know, um, just some sort of artificial algorithm. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting, Kelly. First of all, I don't know that I was aware of uh, the idea that audio books are taking over for, uh, you know, for print or even electronic versions of books. And I mean, I know they're very popular, but I didn't realize they were that popular. Um, and I, I had not heard anything about this idea of, of developing AI voices to, to tell uh, uh, audiobooks. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> uh, Will Storr, what, what's, your, what's your idea uh, yeah, of what Kelly's talking about? That, that certainly reflects in my own sales of my books. The audio, audiobooks are way up, and, 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 and I think it's happened since the podcast revolution. Oh. Uh, you know, I, th I think people have got used to taking in information in that form on their phones. And and so they go to audiobooks. So, so, so but but I, I share your dismay at this the, the technology technological advances. Uh, it just seems a shame um, to me that well, I mean, it seems inevitable that, that, that this is going to happen. I mean, you, you, there's no reason why 
you know someone like amazon or somebody you know couldn't 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 make software that could could read you an, an ebook um and it could be just like somebody you know like brad pitt or or someone is reading it to you but but such a shame you know such a shame you know i i think especially you know books are so rich uh, and so vivid with with kind of human ideas that i really think it you know it, to get the best possible job it takes a human because the human's got to fully understand the kind of subtext of the book and the, and the intention behind every line, every quote, uh, every idea to really kind of emphasize it properly. And, and that's why, you know, we, we hire these professionals mm -hmm. because, because they do such a fantastic job. And, and you, you know, I, 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 I'm sure that AI could do something that, that, that sounds kind of passable, but, but, but I doubt that, that AI could ever do something that is as good as the very best, um, you know, vo voice artists out there. Yeah. I mean, even just in reading, it's the emotion that I think we're able to put into words that that make a story appealing. And and so I guess I, I, I also have a hard time imagining how you'd design a computer to do that in the same way. I mean, I, I, I know that they can... They can do incredible things with uh, with artificial intelligence, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure that would be quite believable in the way that it would uh, that it would need to be. Uh, Kelly, I appreciate uh, the call and uh, the comments. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking about storytelling with Will Store, uh, Adrian in Detroit, Kristen in Windsor, Cheryl in Detroit. Uh, you're up next. We've got some social media comments that uh, I want to read as well. If you want to join us, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest this hour is Will Storr. He's a journalist and author, and author of the new book, The Science of Storytelling, Why Stories Make Us Human, and How to Tell Them Better. We're talking about storytelling and the role that stories play in all of our lives. We want to hear from you about stories, stories that you remember, stories that maybe you've told, stories that uh, maybe you've read in the last year and a half. Wow. All of us have, I think, done things that maybe we hadn't really done as much before as a way of trying to persevere through the COVID-19 pandemic. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll work into the conversation. Let's go to Cheryl in Detroit. Cheryl, welcome yeah. to the show. How are you this Hi. morning? Good. How are you? Go ahead, Cheryl. Cheryl, as I've already stated, and I enjoy storytelling, and I am also a member of the Detroit Association of Black Storytellers, mm -hmm. and we tell stories all the time and all different types of stories. And when I think of storytelling, I think about the fact that it's our way of informing, educating, and entertaining. And as well as I have found that storytelling 
is a way to increase literacy. Hmm. So we at DAB, Detroit Association of Black Storytellers, you know, we, we tell all types of stories. And I think everyone started telling stories when they were a child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love telling stories about history and also telling stories about, you know, little spooky things, especially around Halloween, <laughs> you know, fables and folklore and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheryl, I really appreciate the call, and and I am familiar with uh, that that group, Detroit Association of Black Storytellers, and I know all of the work that you guys do uh, around town. and And it reminds me of another role that I think um, you know storytelling plays in all of our lives, and that is preserving uh, preserving history, preserving culture. And protecting history and in culture, uh, I, I think that's especially important here in America, where we have so many populations like ours, the African American community, uh, that have been left out of so much of uh, mainstream America and have experienced incredible. Uh, oppression uh, as part of America. Storytelling is a really key part of surviving all of that, but also keeping keeping the community and culture uh, intact. Uh, Will uh, that that gets back to one of the very basic needs of telling stories? Uh, this idea of uh, cultural preservation and protection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I said before, it's a culture, a group. That's where they store their 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 norms of behaviour. That's where they where they store their history. It's it's in their stories. It's in the stories that we tell. So so they're incredibly important. You know, in st- stories of, about a culture are often about you know her- heroes, heroes in our past, and and especially as we when we're children, we hear those heroic stories of our kind of cultural heroes, and 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 that's how we understand how we too can become heroic you know we learn okay if i act like this person act in this in this culture in this kind of cultural context then i have a chance too of becoming heroic and you know and likewise often stories tell of you know, p- people who work, who act against our culture and are en- enemies of our culture, or kind of betray our culture in some way. So we also learn, okay, this is how I, I shouldn't behave. So, 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 so stories are absolutely essential to the formation of us as individuals, as we exist as part of a culture, because that's how we. It's like it's like you know, running computer code into a computer. That's how we understand um, how to behave uh, and, and, you know, how, how to act in this culture. So, so they're, yeah, they're incredibly important. And, you know, and, and those stories are historical stories often. They're, they're stories about things that have happened to our group in the past and how we overcame those obstacles. Yeah, yeah. Again, Cheryl, really appreciate the call uh, and your story. Let's go to Kristen in Windsor. Kristen, what's on your mind? Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Um, just kind of uh, drawing off what your guests have just said, um, just about how we can learn uh, learn from storytelling and learn from other people's stories and obviously build empathy and all that good stuff. But something I came across recently that I found very interesting was uh, personal narrative therapy. So it's like the idea that someone can help you tailor your own story and by building your own story and understanding your own story, like it already exists, but by almost telling yourself your story, there's then this like sense of empowerment or other positive things that you can get from that. So I find that very interesting as well. Hmm. 
Hmm. I, you know, that's a. I, I, I'm familiar with what you're talking about, but I don't know that I've heard it called personal narrative therapy before. That's a really, it's a really interesting term for that. Will Store, I wonder if you're familiar with that idea. Yeah, there's personal narrative therapy. And there's also cognitive behavioral therapy, which is which takes a similar approach. And I think both of these approaches really understand. They work because they understand, again, the brain is a storyteller. And one of the stories that it tells, one of the most important stories that it tells is the story of us. And, you know, those stories can be can be wildly different. In a, you know, a psychologically healthy and happy person can have, you know, will often tell an optimistic story. They'll often be slightly delusional about how, you know, about their positive qualities. So, so psychologists find that, that, that healthy people tend to, uh, you know, self-enhance, they call it, you know, think they're slightly better morally than they really are and, and so on. Um, uh, but but of course, if we become depressed, you know the, the story goes wrong. We don't feel like the hero of our story anymore. We feel that the world outside our heads is full of insurmountable obstacles, and and, that, and actually we, we're defeated, and we've got no hope of winning in the story of our lives. So it's, it's, so it's kind of rebooting that story, you know, trying to find out, you know, you know where it's gone wrong, and and trying to kind of repair some of the kind of damaging elements of that story that we're telling ourselves. You know, mm. it seems to me that's a you know a, a good approach. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Kristen, really appreciate the the call and uh, the sharing of your story. Uh, let's go to Adrian in Detroit. Well, Adrian. good morning. Hi. How are you? I, I'm great. And I could let me just start. I love to read and learned at an early age to read. One of my favorite authors, and I have them in my collection now, is Dr. Sue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't understand how those kids let that cat in the house and the <laughs> smartest thing in the house was the fish because our rules as a kid was let no one in when your parents are gone. Not only did they let the cat in, he brought two friends. He brought thing one and thing two, right. And they tore the house up and took the mother's new dress. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> I love Dr. Seuss. I, and I, I, I don't particularly like audiobooks because their inflection on a point I'm like no that that no I don't like that but maybe I can get into it later but uh, just to love to read it is a, it is a gift it is an absolute, absolute gift mm, wow uh, Adrian I love that you love Dr. Seuss uh, and that uh, that that story cat in the hat of course is one of our first stories I think of as Americans of a certain age certainly here. Um, all of us, I think, remember the first time we heard that story and, and can recall as adults how, how much impact it had. Um, those first stories that, that were told, I think, and books that were given have this kind of special place uh, in our minds. Um, Will, what, what Adrian's talking about here reminds me of the connection between story and memory. Um, we remember the stories that we were told as young people, but those memories also uh, connect to other things. They connect to our parents. They connect to maybe where we lived. They connect to the early things that we learned. Uh, they they evoke memory uh, as much as they are memories. 
That's right. That's right. I mean, I mean, so, so one of the ways that you can look at the brain is, is it's a prediction machine. It's constantly trying to predict what's going to happen next and, you know, prime your body and, you know, you know, trigger the right behaviors in order to cope with what's coming next. And, and so you can ask the question, so how does it do that? How, how does it kind of, you know, do that how does it predict what's going to happen next well the answer is with stories and you know there, there are kind of two the, the, the brain is this huge store of stories and you know and one form of story is you know are, are the books that we've read you know dr seuss and you know, going on forward to you know even up to kind of you know, great works of literature or shakespeare or, or whatever we might have encountered as we were growing up and you know as i said before you know th these contain lots of valuable information about how, how we should behave how we could behave how we shouldn't behave but also as you say experience you know so so, so, so you know, experience is just a story that we've been involved in. You know, it's, it, it, they're also stories. And, it, and it's sort of quite interesting that when psychologists look at how the brain stores memories, um, it, the, the brain, we remember the beginning, the end, and a kind of peak experience are often in the middle. And that's exactly how stories are structured. You know, you know it's the classic, you know, beginning in the middle and an end or crisis struggle resolution. The great three acts of drama mm -hmm. um, reflect um, how the brain naturally stores memories. So, 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 yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, as far as the subconscious mind is, there's often not that much difference between a story that we've been involved with, you know, which, which you might think of as an experience and uh, a book that we've read or a film that we've seen, which is kind of a fake made up kind of fictional experience. It's all, it, it's all information for that kind of prediction machine that is the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, thanks for the call uh, and the insights there. Let's go uh, quickly to Ken in Royal Oak. Ken, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I wanted to get you on here. You there, Ken? Thanks for taking. Yeah, thanks, for take, thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a retired uh, litigator, a retired attorney, um, and I'm just thinking back as I hear your stories about how when I first started practice, I had great uh, teachers, great uh, lawyers who taught me the way to write a brief to get the attention of a judge, to, mm -hmm. to pull the judge in, to make sure that as the judge is reading through the brief, the judge, he or she is nodding along and following the story. And mm -hmm. when you go to make the argument that it's critical that you keep their attention and keep them interested in something that's probably very complicated and otherwise not very interesting. And, and uh, it was a career of trying to make sure that those stories got told and, and listened to. Mm. So, Ken, uh, you're talking about communicating with a judge that way. Uh, it seems to me that holds as well for juries, right? You're trying to paint a picture for them or tell a story to convince them of your your side. Absolutely. I mean, it's the it's it's all the decision maker, the fact finder that you're trying to appeal to. But the 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 most challenging part, um, and I wasn't uh, a, a trial lawyer doing uh, jury trials. I I did a, a couple, but the the. the the toughest part is trying to deal with an audience of one, hmm. trying to focus on who is this judge, who is this person <laughs> that I have to convince, and what are the things that are going to motivate him or her to listen to me right. and, and to be sympathetic to my client. Yeah. And if I could do that, then I would be successful. Then you could win, yeah. Ken, uh, really appreciate your your call. Uh, Will, this, this idea of audience and how we address that audience when we're telling a story and, and how we might have to change that depending on the audience is, is pretty important too. We've only got about a minute left, but, but I want to hear you react to that. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's certainly true in law. It's also true in branding and marketing and in politics. If we want to change, if we want to convince people, persuade people, we need to understand, we need to talk in their language. And in order to talk in their language, we need to understand their stories and the stories that they use to navigate the world. And, and, and I think by connecting to, to those stories, those heroes, those villains, those values, that's how we successfully persuade. We don't persuade by blasting our stories at other people. Okay, Will Storr, author of The Science of Storytelling, Why Stories Make Us Human, and How to Tell Them Better. It was really delightful to have you here with us to talk about your book. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. It was fantastic to Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with State Senator Rosemary, Rosemary Bayer, who represents Oxford, Michigan, in the legislature. She is going to detail her new bills that would tighten Michigan's gun laws. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.